This morning we celebrate Pentecost Sunday uh, and the events that were read to us a little bit earlier from the book of Acts. Uh, originally on the Jewish calendar, Pentecost was the Feast of Weeks. It was a type of harvest festival where the Jewish people would come and bring some of their produce from the land. And that's why there were so many people in Jerusalem that day, uh, Jews, Jewish people from all over the world uh, coming into Jerusalem to, to worship God. But on that particular Pentecost, as we read, something amazing and dramatic happened to Jesus' disciples. They received the Holy Spirit. After having watched Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, finally the penny dropped. They understood uh, who he was. Uh, in our terms, I guess, they became Christians, <laughs> and they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we celebrate that, and we celebrate, too, the fact that when we truly believe and understand who Jesus is, he, too, comes and takes residence in us through his Holy Spirit. There's a lot that we could say about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Even as uh, uh, those wonderful readings were read to us this morning, my mind kept on thinking, oh, I should have said that, or I should have said that. You know, say everything you can about the Holy Spirit in about 25 minutes. We're, we're not going to be able to do that. Instead, we're going to focus on just a few verses from John chapter 14. John chapter 14 through to John chapter 17 uh, are described as the upper room discourse. In other words, this is the teaching that Jesus gives to his disciples in that upper room where they're celebrating uh, the Last Supper, uh, the, the, the Passover. Uh, and Jesus begins to teach them there, and he continues to teach them as they make their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And while all of Jesus' teaching is important for us, uh, words that you are about to say to your disciples before your horrific death the next day have to be extremely important. Jesus knows what is coming. He wants to comfort his disciples. And so we have this long speech that Jesus gives uh, that, that, that is just so important and so rich. And it's in this block of teaching that Jesus teaches his disciples and us some very important things about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. So let's have a look. John chapter 14, verses 15 through 27. The Lord Jesus says to us, If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor, to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love him and show myself to him. If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. 
My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this passage of Scripture in in which we get something of the the, the very burning center of, of who you are, our triune God, We do ask that you, through your Holy Spirit, who inspired these words, would come and speak deeply into our hearts and lives. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. I heard about a Sunday school class who wanted to present the Apostles' Creed to the church in the morning services. Each member of the class was given a particular line uh, to learn by heart, and then they were going to recite the creed. And so on the day of the presentation, the first child stood up and said, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. The second child stood up and said, And I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Then there was a several moments silence, and eventually one little girl spoke up and said, Excuse me, teacher, but the little boy who believes in the Holy Spirit is absent today. <laughs> I have to admit that sometimes I feel like the little boy, not who doesn't believe in the Holy Spirit, but for whom the Holy Spirit continues to be a bit of a mystery. I can't claim to have had any dramatic encounters with the Holy Spirit. I'm not someone who has the gift of tongues. I haven't heard the Holy Spirit speak to me audibly, and I know others who have, and sometimes in their company, uh, I feel a little bit like a little boy. Uh, on occasion, I'm made to feel, perhaps unintentionally, like a little boy who's, who's lost out, uh, perhaps who isn't good enough. And so in thinking through Jesus' words here, I'm comforted and I'm encouraged and I'm assured and I'm reassured and I'm challenged and I hope that you will be too. I guess this passage uh, emphasizes an aspect of the Holy Spirit that, that I relate to and I trust that you will as well. There are many things that we could look at even in this passage. Uh, we're not going to be able to look at everything. But the main message I want to get across is that the Holy Spirit is your very best friend, someone who is with you and for you. He tells you the truth about yourself, and we appropriate him through love and obedience. So the Holy Spirit is our very best friend, someone who is with us and for us. He tells us the truth about ourselves, and we appropriate him through love and obedience. There'll be a whole lot of other stuff in between, but if you get that, we should be okay. Firstly, the Holy Spirit is our very best friend, someone who's with us and for us. He is a person. Verse 17, Jesus says, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. So this isn't the language of Star Wars. 
Uh, the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force that we can wield as we wish. He is a person, uh, and he is described as a he. Uh, the, the Bible uh, definitely uses a, a whole lot of feminine imagery to describe God in each of his three persons, so I don't think we have to take our worst male stereotypes and project those onto God. God is both ideal mother and father, but I don't think it's necessary or even helpful or desirable to attach feminine attributes to only one particular member of the Trinity, particularly the Spirit. Uh, the Bible doesn't do that, and we need to be careful not to go beyond what is written. He is a person uh, who is described as he. But it's important to understand that the Holy Spirit is a person because it helps us understand later when the New Testament commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we don't realize that Paul is speaking about a person, we'll tend to think in terms of being filled with a commodity, and we'll buy into the idea that one can learn techniques in order to have more of the Spirit than other people. We're to be filled with a person. What does it mean to be filled with a person? I'm sure if you have teenagers, you've had the experience where over a period of time, you notice that a certain name begins to crop up in their conversation with you. Uh, every now and again, as your son talks to you about his week, you notice that the name Belinda begins to crop up in the conversation. You've never heard it before. It, it probably starts quite slowly. Uh, Belinda said this the other day, or while Belinda was at hockey, I noticed. But in time, the name appears with ever-increasing frequency and perhaps even intensity. In a very real way, your son's life begins to be filled with another person. It reminds me of that joke where a young man says to a young lady, I may not be as intelligent as George. I may not have quite as nice a car as George. I'm certainly not as athletic as George, but I do love you. To which the young lady replies, that's really nice, but tell me more about George. <laughs> Being filled with a person is, is very much like being in love. The person takes over our thoughts. We want to please that person. There are things that we once did that we no longer do. We don't eat peppermints because the other person doesn't like it. And there are things that we never did that we now start doing, like going along to opera in order to please the other person. The person of the Holy Spirit is, is our closest friend. We see this in that important word in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And some of you who've been around in church long enough will know that it's a Greek word, parakletos, and when you read through the different versions of the Bible, you'll see that each version translates that, that word slightly differently. Uh, the old NIV from which I'm reading chooses to translate the word as counselor, uh, but that often produces pictures of lying on a sofa and talking about your childhood. Some other translations have the word comforter, uh, but that tends to raise images of little kids wandering around with blankets, or their mothers saying to kids, there, there, don't worry, I'll hold you, I'll look after you. Uh, the new NIV translates the word as advocate, 
which isn't a bad option because the word does have legal connotations. Uh, if you think about uh, how the American legal system or in that system, people refer to lawyers as counselor. So that's that sort of double meaning. If you divide the word into two parts, uh, the first word, para, means alongside, and kletos means to encourage or exhort. So putting all of that together, I believe we can say that the counselor refers to a close friend, a legal friend, an advocate, who is with us and for us. A friend who speaks for us and to us, as we'll see in a moment. I've got a couple of friends who are lawyers, if, and if I were ever to find myself in difficulty, it would be gr a great relief to have them come alongside me and talk to me and talk for me. I love how Pastor Timothy Keller captures this idea. He says that we're to think of the Holy Spirit as being our very best friend. Some of you have great friends, really great friends, but you've never had a friend quite like this, a friend who is always with you and always for you. Notice that Jesus says he will ask the Father for another counselor, uh, another Greek word here. In Greek, there are two words for another. The first word means another of a similar kind, as in this pew Bible is similar to, in kind, to this hymnal. They're, they're similar. But the Greek word that is used here is another word which means one of the same type, as in this Pew Bible is a book of exactly the same type as this Pew Bible over here. They're identical. And it's that word that's used here, another of the same kind. God will give the disciples another counselor who is exactly like Jesus. The Spirit is sent to continue the work of Christ. While he was on earth, Jesus was the wonderful counselor to the disciples. Now that he's going, he promises that he will send them another of an identical kind. Jesus goes on to say in verse 17 that the counselor, the spirit of truth, lives with you and will be in you. And it's well worth our looking at who exactly it is, who will be with us and in us. Yes, it is the Holy Spirit who is with us and in us. But in verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In verse 21, he says, I too will love him and show myself to him. Verse 23, he says, my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. In other words, when we accept Jesus as our Savior and Lord, in some sense, the triune God comes to live right in the center of our lives. It's astounding if you think about it. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit coming to live within us through his Spirit. There's a wonderful Christmas poem that captures something of the incredible gift we receive in God's coming to us through his Spirit. Seems a bit strange reading a Christmas poem on Pentecost Sunday, but I think you'll see what I mean. The writer says, Let the stable still astonish, 
straw dirt floor, dull eyes, dusty flanks of donkeys, oxen, crumbling crooked walls, no bed to carry that pain. And then the child, rag-wrapped, laid to cry in a trough. Who would have chosen this? Who would have said, yes, let the God of heaven and earth be born in this place? Who but the same God who stands in the darker, fouler rooms of our hearts and says, yes, let the God of heaven and earth be born in this place. I said a few moments ago that I sometimes feel left out because I haven't had dramatic experiences of the Holy Spirit. But I think the question for those of us who may doubt the Spirit's work in our lives is this. Is Jesus becoming more and more real to me? Do I find that more and more I'm thinking about God and inviting him into more and more areas of my life? Am I meeting with him more and more regularly? If so, that is evidence of the Spirit's hidden work within me, calling me back, drawing me close. If Jesus is becoming real to me, if the Father is becoming real to me, the Holy Spirit is indeed in, at work in my life. It's also important to see that the Holy Spirit takes up residence in our lives together. If you have a look at the next slide, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. And the yous in that verse are plural, like the American y'all. Uh, you know, I will ask the Father and he will give y'all another counselor to be with y'all forever. <laughs> It's, it's together, which means then that when you look around this church at your fellow believers, you share with each of them a spiritual bond of infinite depth. The same Holy Spirit, the same God who lives within me, lives within my brother, within my sister. He lives in me and he lives in us together. And so when we come together in worship, we acknowledge that God's Spirit lives in us and among us. And we recognize that and we celebrate that. And then finally, under this point, the Holy Spirit is our best friend forever. Verse 16, another counselor to be with you forever. Gift of the Holy Spirit is not just for a few years here on earth. He's with us forever. And it, there's a wonderful picture in, in the book of Romans that, that says what the Holy Spirit is doing in our lives at present. At the moment, he gives life to our spirits, even though our bodies are beginning to get old and beginning to fall apart. Uh, there's a, a lovely lady, I sometimes go and give Bible study at Pinan's Place, and there's a lovely old lady who every time I get there says, I'm still here. She says, I'm 92 now, um, God clearly doesn't want me. <laughs> and I keep on saying to her, but, but he's working in you. He's making you more like Jesus. And Romans tells us that the Spirit's working within our spirit right now is a guarantee that one day he will raise our bodies too. Paul writes this in Romans 8. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. 
You might not feel, well, I'm not actually doing that bad. It's aching a bit, but it's not dead. <laughs> your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of Christ's righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. And so as the hymn writer has put it, now I belong to Jesus. Jesus belongs to me, not for the years of time alone, but for eternity. As we read a little bit earlier, God has put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. All of that and so much more is captured in this idea of the Holy Spirit as our closest friend, someone who is with us and for us. Secondly, as our friend, the Holy Spirit tells us the truth because he is the Spirit of truth. Some of you have really good friends who are prepared to tell you the truth. <laughs> in fact, the book of Proverbs says that an enemy multiplies kisses, but, a f but wounds from a friend can be trusted. Someone who's be prepared to tell you the exact truth about you and will love you anyway. The Holy Spirit does that for us as our closest friend. On the one hand, he tells me how bad I am. <laughs> a little bit later on in the same speech in chapter 16, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. And I, I need this. I need the Holy Spirit to say, you know, what you just said was not good. <laughs> what you just thought was not right. Um, there are depths to my pride and to my arrogance and to my pettiness that the Holy Spirit needs to reveal to me. And so I pray, you know, search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The Holy Spirit does that. But on the other hand, he also tells me how much I am loved Remember that the Holy Spirit is described as another counselor. He's the second counselor. And what he does is he reminds us of the work of the first counselor, our Lord Jesus. In 1 John chapter 2, the Apostle John says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins also, but for the sins of the whole world. It's that same Greek word, parakletos. We have an advocate, a counselor with the Father. As the old NIV puts it, one who speaks to the Father in our defense. In other words, the Holy Spirit reminds us of the work of the first advocate. And this is extremely important. We looked at it a few weeks ago. Jesus acts as our defense attorney. He stands before the judgment seat of God. And he's not stood there pleading for mercy. He's arguing a case. He speaks in our defense. What is he saying? <laughs> Jesus stands before the judgment seat of the Father and he says, Father, Andrew has sinned. He is guilty. He deserves punishment. Blood should be shed. Here it is. I died for that sin. 
and it would be unjust for you to ask for two payments for the same offense. I don't ask for mercy, I ask for justice. That's the work of the first advocate, and the second advocate reminds us of that, that although I am more sinful than I really understand, I am more loved than I could possibly imagine. So who he is, what he does, and then finally, how do we appropriate all of this for ourselves? The moment we become believers, God comes to live in our lives through his Holy Spirit. We become children of God. As Paul writes in Romans 8, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But it is possible to appropriate more of the Holy Spirit, more of God into our lives. And Jesus tells us how. He tells us how three times, in fact. It's through love and obedience. He says in verse 15, If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. In other words, love and obedience followed by the giving of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Obedience and love leading to the coming of Jesus in the person of the Spirit. And then verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and might make our home with him. Same pattern, love, obedience, leading to the coming of the Father and of the Son. So love, if we want to experience the presence of the second counselor, we have to love the first counselor. We have to accept what our advocate has done on our behalf, as we saw earlier. And then we have to grow in love for him. But of course, biblical love is never simply a feeling. Biblical love is seen in action. Verse 15 again, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. So if I want to be filled with the person of the Holy Spirit, if, if I want him to take over more and more of my life, I need to regularly obey him. I need to take time out each day to listen to his commands as I find them in Scripture. Remember, my advocate is the spirit of truth. A little bit later on in John 17, Jesus prays and says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your, your word is truth. In other words, we must be so careful not to make too great a distinction between the word and the spirit. Sometimes people say, well, you've got your Bible and your theology, but I've got the Holy Spirit. But he's the spirit of truth who leads us into all truth and reminds us of what Jesus has said to us. And so I take time out each day just to pause, uh, to read his word, to pray, and then to listen for that still small voice, which comes primarily through Scripture, sometimes through inner promptings, but those inner promptings never contradict the Scripture. And in fact, the Scripture gives us, allows us to tune in to that voice. And what is Jesus' command? Well, reading further in this discourse, in chapter 15, we're told twice John 15, verse 12, My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. And chapter 15 and verse 17, This is my command, love each other. 
Notice then what is the real measure of spirituality. The true measure of our spirituality, that the true measure of how filled we are with the Holy Spirit is not seen in our church attendance, it's not seen in the number of quiet times we have or how often we pray or even our use of the spiritual gifts. The true measure of the state of our relationship with God is seen in how much we love others. How much or how little we love others is the measure of how much or little we truly love God. Remember Paul's words in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the greatest definition of Christian love, probably the greatest definition of any kind of love. But he says this, you know, If I speak in the tongues of men or even of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but don't have love, I gain nothing. And then remember what Christian love looks like, not a feeling again. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. There's so much more that we could look at, both in this passage of Scripture and in other passages as well, on the person and work of the Holy Spirit. We've just touched on one little facet but I do hope and trust it's been helpful. The Holy Spirit is our very best friend, someone who is with us and for us forever. He tells us the truth about ourselves, that we are more sinful than we understand, but more loved than we could ever imagine. And we continue to appropriate him day by day through love, through obedience. Perhaps just one final practical application as we close. Uh, recently I've started doing something that Pastor John Stott once recommended in a sermon. He said that each moment, oh, sorry, each morning uh, when he woke up, during those first few moments, he would lie in bed for a few minutes and just acknowledge the presence of God with him and in him. He would just say, Father, I acknowledge you as the creator of everything and as my creator. 